so interview the author was born out of basically um me being in the space war i consider consider being an entrepreneur now for the last say six seven years <coughs> um books have been a huge part of my development both personally and um professionally hence why the the platform interview the author was born uh, to help people connect with authors get into the minds of authors and um, kind of find out what makes them tick. So for um, the guest that we have on today, Dr. Mark Gorston. So Mark Gorston is a psychiatrist and consultant to major organizations such as Disney, Goldman Sachs, Harvard Business Review, uh, School, sorry, FedEx, and British Airways, just to name a few. His book, Just Listen, ranked number one in six Amazon categories and has been translated into 14 languages reached number one in Munich and Shanghai and became the basis of a 2010 PBS special. Originally a UCLA professor of psychiatry for over 25 years and a former FBI and police hostage negotiation trainer. Having been featured as a guest in the media on shows such as Oprah, Dr. Mark Gorson has touched the lives of hundreds of thousands of people and his contribution to society has definitely shown as Dr. Gilson was recently awarded the Dr. W. Mark Warfel Award for the contribution towards suicide prevention. So with all that said, I'm very much looking forward to interviewing uh, Dr. Mark Gilson today, and thank you very much for your time to be on the show. Well, I'm, uh, I'm honored and pleased to be on the show, and hopefully we can come up with things that will be of interest and use to your listeners, and thanks for having you're most welcome. You're most welcome. And I'm looking forward to a, a, a fully packed uh, information bit of an overload. So it's good that I've got it here on record that people can go back and, and rewatch. So I was first in, uh, introduced to you actually through um, a referral through a mutual friend, I guess you could say, Cynthia Johnson. Um, I think she has the, the fortunate, um, the blessing, I guess, for you to be her mentor. And we'll touch on that a bit, a bit later on. Um, but for the audience that doesn't know much about you and your kind of journey, even though I've just given them a bit of an introduction, how did you first start off in life in the sense of what draw you, um, drawn you to psychiatry and, and studying a bit of human behavior, I guess you could say, how did that all kind of start out? Well, you know, all of us have sort of a backstory and um, psychiatrists often have a, a backstory that's kind of personal. Uh, I guess I guess my backstory is one of my greatest accomplishments uh, is I dropped out of medical school twice and finished, graduated. And I dropped out not to see the world. I dropped out because I think I had untreated depression. And I dropped out uh, the first time because I was uh, I was passing everything, but uh, it just wasn't sticking that I was reading. So I took some blue collar jobs, which I still miss very much because life was very simple mm. in a blue collar world and i came back and my mind kind of stopped again and the second time i dropped out or was going to drop out the the medical school wanted to uh, wanted to kick me up because they were losing every time someone takes time off they lose matching funds from the government and the dean of the school who was all about funding and money he met with me and he sent a letter to the Dean of Students. And, and the letter said, I met with Mr. Goulston and we discussed an alternate career and I'm advising the promotions committee that he be asked to withdraw. So I was passing everything, 
but um, as I said, I was kind of stuck. Mm. I asked, uh, I met with the Dean of Students who cares about students. And I said, what does this mean? And he said, uh, you've been kicked out. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a great believer in miracles, but I think a miracle happened because when he said that, I, it's as if I was just shot in the, in the uh, stomach. And, and it's like I, I kind of bent over and I just went, whoa. And I think it was my good fortune that I didn't get angry. I didn't say, they can't do that. I'm passing everything. And nor did I get, I think, overly pathetic. I didn't say, oh, what am I going to do? It, it literally was like, like I'd been shot. Mm. And, and I think I was raw, vulnerable, and I think I was at a low point. And I came from a background, not unlike a lot of people, where your value is what you do in the world. And if you can't do much, you're not worth much. So that was, that's not an unusual background to come from. And, um, and he said to me, he looked at me, and he said, Mark, you didn't screw up, but you are screwed up. Mm. And, and then he said, uh, but even if you don't get unscrewed up, even if you don't become a doctor, even if you don't do anything with the rest of your life, I'd be proud to know you. And I, and I couldn't believe what he was saying to me because I came from a background where you're only worth what you can do. And then w when he said that, uh, I started to tear up. Uh, I mean, he was, he was assaulting me with kindness. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to do with it. And then he said, uh, he said, Mark, um, uh, you, uh, you have a streak of goodness in you and even if you don't do anything the rest of your life i'd be proud to know you because that goodness we don't grade in medical school and you don't know how much the world needs that goodness and you won't know it until you're 35 but you have to make it to your 35 and by this point i'm i'm sobbing i, I mean i can't hide it he's just he's just so kind and compassionate Hmm. And he said, uh, you have to make it to your 35. And then he pointed his finger at me and he said, and you deserve to be on this planet and you're going to let me help you. It flipped the switch inside me because if he had said, uh, if I can be of any help, you know, call me, hmm. I would have said, no, I'll be fine. Would have had all this false male ego, uh, which was pretty broken down. I would have gone back into my apartment and I'm not sure I'd be here today. But the, but here's what happened is he saw a future for me that I didn't see. He saw a value in me that I didn't see. Uh, and he, uh, and then he said, you're going to, uh, you're going to let me help you. And he was also willing to go and stand up for me against the medical school, which wanted me to leave because they were losing money. So the combination of someone seeing value in you, believing in you, seeing a future for you that you didn't see, and then willing to stand up against other people at, at their own risk. That just changed everything in me. And so I think what happened is years later, I, I shared the story with a reverend from St. John the Divine, which is a big, big Gothic cathedral in Manhattan. And I was speaking to the, the main uh, pastor. And when I shared the story, this whole rush of warmth came through me mm. and I said to the uh, to the pastor 
I said, the dean of students, Dean McNary, he was an angel. Mm. And without missing a beat, the pastor said, yes, he was, Mark. So here's the good and bad news. When an angel comes into your life and saves your life, you walk differently in the world. You do. Mm. That's the good news. The bad news is you have to pay it forward. Mm. And it's not guilt. You, you have to honor this kind of intervention in your life. So that might explain why, you know, uh, in my second leave of absence, I actually went out to a psychiatric uh, uh, foundation called the Menninger Foundation, which was very famous uh, in America. And even though I felt like I was broken down, I seemed to be able to connect with schizophrenic farm boys. And, and I've never lived on a farm. Mm. And the psychiatrists uh, who were, who were, supervising me uh, said, you know, you really have a knack. And so I went back to medical school thinking, well, I think I have a path and I'll become a psychiatrist. And then that's why early in my career for the first 25 years, I was a suicide specialist. Mm -hmm. I think what I kept doing was I kept reaching into my patients who were lost and I kept listening into them. So just listen is a book about how do you cause other people to feel felt. And feeling felt is different than feeling understood. Mm-hmm. When you feel felt, you feel less alone. And when you feel less alone, which is what happened with the dean when he, when he reached in and said, no, no, you're, uh, you're, you're a value to the world even if you don't do anything because you have goodness. And when people feel felt and valued and you stand up for them, they, they kind of exhale. So for 20, 25 years, I was a suicide specialist and none of my patients killed themselves. And I was trying to think of what it was that I did. And recently I figured it out and I'm actually part of a documentary called Stay Alive mm-hmm. where I interview Kevin Hines and he's a young man. He's not that young anymore, but he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and he survived. And they actually made it, and he speaks around the world. He's, he's spoken in New Zealand and Australia. And he's a force of nature saving lives around the world. So I interviewed him for about five hours along with a British, along with a, a, a Japanese female pop singer who's also a suicide prevention advocate. And so uh, your, your listeners can go to youtube.com forward slash stay alive video and, and, if they've been touched by suicide, you can watch the whole thing. Uh, uh, but it's, 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 a, it's kind of a long, tough interview. But if you've been touched by suicide, I think you'll find it, uh, find it that you connect with it. Mm-hmm. But we've divided it up into eight episodes. Um, and uh, each of us, Kevin, myself, or the Japanese singer, Reiko, we introduce the different chapters so they become easier to watch. And um, so that was a longer answer than you ever wanted, but hopefully it fills in, it fills in some, uh, some some of the gaps. Those are great. I mean, answers can never be too long. I mean, a big part of, um, I won't necessarily share my full story, but just a quick touch on that, asking you kind of how you got into um, studying psychiatry and obviously behavior and things like this, is that I had gone through a a divorce through my mid-20s. I'm 29 now. 
And for whatever reason, um, I dived pretty heavy into uh, personal development, studying the brain, human behavior, and then into a lot of um, Dr. John, Dr. John Demartini's work as well. I'm not too sure if you're familiar with his work. And um, so I, I love studying the, the brain and human behavior. And then on the other side of that coin was I've, I've loved business for a very long time. And so transitioning into entrepreneurship, um, it's, it's, I think, a huge part of the success of that is um, managing your emotions and managing your psychology in, in order to be successful. On top of, you know, if you've got obviously a viable business and, and you're solving a problem, things like that. So, um, so that's why I jumped on the, the opportunity to, uh, to interview today. So I'm very, very, very fortunate and blessed that uh, Cynthia connected us. So thank you. Well, um, I'll, tell you some, I'll tell you something I've discovered. Uh, I have a podcast called My Wake Up Call. Yeah. And it's available on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. And I interview influencers about what matters most to them. And then the wake up calls that led them to it. And if your listeners want to check it out, there's one in particular, uh, I forget the episode, but it's, it's Jay Reed, R-E-I-D. He's a serial entrepreneur, and he reached out to me when he found out about all my work in suicide. And, he, and he's a serial entrepreneur, and a year ago, his 14-year-old son hung himself. Wow. And uh, he has a TEDx talk called The Most Important Conversation You Can Have With Your teenager, uh, Jay Reed, and he talks about being on vacation with his wife and being all, you know, positive about their family, and he gets a text message from his 14-year-old son, Ryan, and the text message says, uh, don't blame yourself, I'm so sorry, goodbye. Mm, and he wow. calls home, and his wife's mother was there, his mother-in-law, and he screams, go find Ryan, and she runs around the house, and she goes up into the attic, and she screams at him back in the phone, he hung himself, Jay, he hung himself. And so Jay, uh, and, and, so, and he left two messages. And one message were the uh, passwords to his technology. And the other a note he left said, tell my story. And so Jay is now on a path to end teen suicide by 2030. He's doing a movie called Tell My Story. And, but, but here's the interesting thing when I did the interview with him, he shared something with me that I think your entrepreneurial audience, at least a third of them will find interesting. Mm -hmm. He mentioned that a third of entrepreneurs suffer from depression and, and have been suicidal, have felt suicidal uh, many times in their life. And the observation he made for those third is they don't get depressed when their businesses fail they're already depressed, probably bipolar by nature, and they run into being an entrepreneur to get away from the depression. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you think about a number of entrepreneurs, uh, they don't fit in. They're not hireable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, many of them will walk around like a badge of courage. I'm not hireable. I'm an entrepreneur. But you know, when they weren't hireable, when people in their life were, were telling them, why do you have to be different? when people were saying uh, negative things to them, they went through a long period where it was really painful and they discovered being an entrepreneur as a way, sort of a way to save themselves. Mm -hmm. So if you're an entrepreneur and you're in that third, uh, you might find that interesting and you might want to ask yourself, 
when I get down, is it because my business is failing or is it because down deep I'm depressed and maybe what we'd call bipolar depressed? So, which means you can be high or slightly manic, but when you're down, it's, it's really dark and you run away from that into being an entrepreneur. So I thought your audience might find that an, to be an interesting fact. Yeah. I mean, and, and I can tell this is going to be a good conversation already. And, uh, it's interesting that you, you brought that up because when, um, when people do was, so say my generation, I'm like I said, I'm 29. Um, I think that, uh, sometimes well, at least in New Zealand, we get labeled as, um, how do you put it? Like the soft generation, because we were brought up in an era that was easy. You know, parents wanted to give us everything that they quote unquote didn't have. Um, and we feel somewhat perhaps or get labeled as, enti as in entitled. And then along with that, we got brought up in the, um, the birth and, and the um, evolution of social media. And I think that has crushed a lot of people in the sense of um, entrepreneurship is now up on this pedestal of thinking that, wow, like this is the life I could have because and, and entrepreneurs are getting idolized, you know, people like um, Jeff Bezos and, and Steve Jobs and Gary Vaynerchuk, and they just see something from the outside. Whereas to be a successful entrepreneur, um, it's very lonely. Um, there's um, business is just basically solving a problem. And people kind of, um, in my experience, uh, either want to get into entrepreneurship because they're running away from a job that they don't like. Um, therefore, they're getting on, on, into entrepreneurship and, and chasing perhaps um, fast money, whereas they might not even value business. So for me, um, a lot of my blueprint on what I look at on um, what drive, uh, drives our behavior is obviously, you know, around more like the study of axiology and our values. And that's how I kind of look at shaping our life. Um, but yeah, it's, it's very interesting that you brought that point up around a third being, you know, um, are you just kind of depressed? And that, that's another kind of almost conversation, not necessarily a conversation by itself, but I think it's very, very important for entrepreneurs to realize first and foremost, am I running away from something a bit like you kind of mentioned, but also if I'm even going to get into this world of entrepreneurship, whether it be online, you know, affiliate marketing, online world, drop shipping, e-commerce, whatever it is what am I passionate about and what problem am I willing to solve? Because uh, it's not an easy path and you struggle for a long time. So if business is not high on your hierarchy of values in my perception, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a very, very difficult challenge. Well, I'll tell you, I, uh, now I'm going to be showing my age and, uh, and I may have been doing well with your audience and I'm about to alienate half of them. So here goes. No problem. Uh, <laughs> I wrote I wrote an article recently, and uh, and it, and it's the title of it is Zuckerberg, Musk, Bezos, stop killing us, mm -hmm. Revenge of the Nerds 2.0. Good title, good hook. It is a good hook, and what I talk about is uh, Revenge of the Nerds 1.0 was Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. Revenge of the Nerds 2.0 is is uh, Zuckerberg, Musk, and Bezos. But what I talk about is that years ago, and you, you may not relate to this, and your generation may not relate to this, 
but years ago, tenderness, compassion, uh, there was something called lovemaking before it just was reduced to sex. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, closeness actually, which is mediated by oxytocin, that's our bonding hormone, that triggered pleasure, which is dopamine. But what happened is while all that closeness was happening, there was a group of nerds who uh, are engineers, and they didn't really understand closeness, but they loved going to Radio Shack. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, to them, there was nothing more fun than Radio Shack or going to a computer store or the new technology. And they just got incredibly excited about it. And what's happened is those people uh, that I mentioned who control much of the world, the technology of the world, they addicted the world to adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And so adrenaline now causes dopamine, now causes pleasure. And oxytocin is too slow and boring. Now, the problem with being driven by adrenaline is that the only thing more powerful than an adrenaline rush is an adrenaline crash. Mm-hmm. And the abruptness when you go from as right as you thought you were is as wrong as you turned out to be. It's like going off a cliff. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that adolescents are increasingly suicidal is because they're addicted to excitement. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and that feels powerful. And of course, the uh, the video game world and the conspicuous consumption world is, is feeding off that because you need to feed the monster and the monster is, is adrenaline driven. Yeah. And I think that's one of the problems is that uh, uh, I don't know that we can go back to where compassion, listening, uh, tenderness. Uh, I, I think the world needs that because what are we seeing? We're seeing violence and we're seeing self-destruction and we're seeing, which are both caused by disconnection with yourself, disconnection with the world. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how it can shift back to a world being more compassionate, patient, listening. I'll tell you something about my book, Listening. Mm-hmm. I've basically given up on teaching listening in America okay. because uh, because Americans, I think, are, as, as a country, are amongst the worst listeners in the world. And actually, the book is really popular around the world. It's in 22 languages. And two years ago, I went to Moscow, and I taught empathy and listening to the Russian Federation, the managers. And I taught them it for six hours. I spoke in English. It was spontaneously translated into Russian. It went so well, they made a highlight reel. So if you look up Moscow, Goulston, YouTube, you'll see the three highlight reel. And I'm going back this October, they said, you know, we want you back. And and it was fascinating. Uh, And and I'm not getting into politics because that's not what we're talking about. Mm. But I'll tell you, when I went to Moscow and I met people, I thought to myself, this is this is probably what Manhattan and New York City felt like after World War II. It's like people were sort of coming out and they're wanting to connect to each other. Mm. And they're looking for ways to be able to have conversations where they connect to each other. They're really hungry for that. And I thought it was fascinating. And I'm really looking forward to uh, going back to Moscow and doing more of this. But uh, 
but as far as the go-go excitement technology silicon valley world uh i, I basically give it up on teaching them to be better listeners mm -hmm. and is, would you say that's because they either don't think that they need it or they don't care or have you established actually what you think it is because of i think they got it i think they got addicted to adrenaline it's like it's like a very fast stimulus response mm -hmm. you know stimulus response stimulus response and, and, and yeah and it is like it is like a doom loop and you're chasing excitement and and what's happening is you're running away from boredom i think another thing that that many entrepreneurs may be running away from is what if everything they're doing isn't important what if as they go through one two or three marriages and maybe they're not close to their kids because what they're married to is their business and at the end of their life what if it's just they were chasing the wrong uh you know the the, the wrong path to be happy mm -hmm. and it's interesting because uh one of the other thing that informed me is I used to do house calls to dying patients. So I was a death and dying specialist, suicide, people terminally ill. Mm -hmm. And frequently, uh, I would, when I was doing house calls, I would sometimes run into very powerful people who at the end of their life had all the money in the world, but they felt they blew it. Mm -hmm. You know, they felt that they raced ahead and at the end they outsmarted themselves and so part of what I tried to do is help them make peace with the fact uh, I basically uh, I, I, I basically got very firm with them because some of them just got angry at themselves. I blew it. I outsmarted myself um, and I can't stand the fact that as, as right as I thought I was about the way to live my life is as wrong as I turned out to be. So that was one of my challenges in seeing them at the end of their life was to help them make peace with the fact that maybe they were racing after the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting point, as you, as you touched on just there. Um, I, was, I was watching an interview just yesterday, actually. It was of um, Tony Robbins and a guy named um, Tom Ballou on his, on his show. Um, what's it called? Oh, I'm, not, I'm not too sure what the show, the show was, but basically... Tony Robbins had coined himself as this in the well, big in the mainstream, you know, sector of personal development. Right. And I won't go too deep in there, but he was basically talking about how um, a lot of his, um, what he's, I've studied Tony Robbins a lot as well. And how a lot of what he does or did coming up was around obviously the NLP and modeling and things like this. And how he basically says more, I, I sell people or market to people what they think that they want, but I give them what, what they need. And he goes on and talks about, you know, the six human um, needs that people have and which is different to uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And he talks about the last two of what the last two needs that people need for fulfillment, which is around, um, he was more around like contribution and kind of basically living in a state of gratitude. And this all for me kind of as well stems back to yeah are you you know are you running away from something uh, for entrepreneurship which is talking are we running away from something is it something that you're chasing a high or an adrenaline you know i've just made another client just made another sale basically if you're trying if you're living in this manic state rather than a place of being centered and you're inspired from within because you're trying to solve a problem or and, and things like this but without 
that uh, going off on too much of a tangent. Um, I was just as you're talking before about being driven by technology and the article that you wrote around the return of the nerds, I think you had mentioned or was part of it. Um, that reminded me of this guy, which is his name is uh, Nur Eyal, which is he wrote the book Hooked How to Build Habit Forming Products, right? And it is all it is really is when you're looking at these games on these apps for children or even people at our age or whatever age, there's things that are built in like gamifying, right? That became a thing, how to gamify a, even a business now or, or the workplace. And it's just stemming all these hormones in the body, which is just creating these addictive feedback loops. Whereas um, it's actually doing a lot more damage than what people kind of realize. And again, even though we're going off on a bit of a tangent here, I think it's an important, a very important piece of the puzzle because in entrepreneurship, um, often people, so this Tom Ballou that Tony Robbins was interviewing into each other, he had built a billion dollar company through nutritional products. And um, this guy was very, very wealthy, but said to his partners, look, I need to leave because I'm not up here. I'm not doing too good. You know, like this was basically got to the top of Mount Everest and it wasn't what he expected. It wasn't, it wasn't fulfilling him. So I think that's a big part of the conversation that's being missed, especially within the uh, entrepreneur, entrepreneurial kind of movement and in, in the industry now. Yeah, you know, but uh, I'll, I'll, I'll divert back to the hook thing because your entrepreneurs, my guess is we've lost half the audience because uh, this, this is not, this, this is not, <laughs> what? Yeah, it's like, it's like they don't, they don't want to hear it. It's not the trick or the scheme. Yeah. Okay, so for you entrepreneurs that are listening, uh, I'm going to give you a treat that all the ones who already uh, tuned out are going to miss. So uh, they missed out because they didn't have patience. So last year, actually a couple of years ago, I toured playing Steve Jobs coming back from the dead. And I had the turtleneck, I had the glasses. And the whole purpose of that, and I became Steve Jobs, so I would actually channel him. I would, I would talk in a very arrogant way. I would, I would uh, be in your face. But the main part of it was to deliver a formula. So if you're an entrepreneur, this formula is, will, will make your business. And the formula is how do you create gotta have it in your customers, investors. And there's four steps to creating gotta have it. And Steve Jobs followed the four steps when he identified the graphical user interface and the mouse at Xerox Park. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you look up National Geographic, Xerox Park, Jobs, you'll see there's a video, it's a dramatization of his going to Xerox Park. And if you look at his face, the actor playing Steve Jobs, you'll see these four steps. And Everything you do with your customers, clients, investors, the talent you're trying to attract, you have to create this in their mind. Woe, W-H-O-A, wow, W-O-W, mm. hmm, H-M-M-M, -M -M, yes. Woe, wow, hmm, yes. And what woe is, uh, and this is what your customers, clients, investors, and the talent you want to attract, Everything they see, hear, or read about your company has to trigger in them 
that's uh, that's unbelievable, astonishing, amazing. Mm-hmm. So so the woe stops them in their tracks, and they th- and they say, I can't believe what I'm seeing, and the wow is that's astonishing, amazing, unbelievable, and the hmm is this is too good not to use. I don't know how I'm going to use it, but it's too good to ignore. And then when they find a way to use it or buy it, sold. Mm -hmm. So I work with companies and entrepreneurs to help create, whoa, wow, hmm, yes. And if, if all your marketing materials, if the things that your customers, clients, talent, you're trying to attract and investors, if everything they see, hear, or read doesn't trigger whoa wow hmm, yes uh it's triggering nah never mind no thanks bye and if you and if you look up cheddar c-h-e-d-d-a-r goulston uh, i was interviewed by this program cheddar which uh, takes place in the new york stock exchange and it was split screen with los angeles and i go over those four steps but but here's where i twist it into where my world of suicide prevention so after I made it through medical school, there was a, uh, uh, I would see all these highly suicidal patients. And there was one suicidal patient who I didn't think I was helping. She'd made three attempts prior to my seeing her. She'd been in the hospital three to four months every year for three or four years. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I was helping her and she didn't make eye contact. And one weekend I was moonlighting, meaning I was covering for doctors in a, in a, a state psychiatric hospital. And on Monday, I'm sleep deprived. I hadn't slept for 36 hours. And there I am with Nancy. And when I'm with Nancy, suddenly I'm looking at the room and all the color as I'm looking at it turns to black and white. So I am looking at a room that's now black and white and I get these chills through my body. So I thought I was having a stroke or a seizure. Now, since I'm a medical doctor, I did a neurologic exam on myself. She didn't make eye contact, so it wasn't rude. And I'm looking at my finger, moving it from one side to the other, tapping my knees. And I thought to myself, uh, I'm not having a stroke or seizure. I'm all here. And then I had this crazy idea that I was looking at the room and the world through Nancy's eyes. Mm. And because I was sleep deprived, I blurted out something that normally I would have kept to myself. And what I blurted out was, Nancy, I didn't know it was so bad. I can't help you kill yourself. But if you do, I will still think well of you. I'll miss you. And maybe I'll understand why you had to, to get out of the pain. And I thought, I just blew it. I just gave her permission. And that was the first time she made eye contact with me. And she looked right through me and I looked through her. And uh, I thought she was going to say, thank you for understanding. I'm overdue. And I said, what are you thinking, Nancy? And she looked at me and she said, if you can really understand why I'm I might have to kill myself to get out of the pain. Maybe I won't need to. And then she smiled and she gave up her suicidality. So the woe, wow, hmm, yes for her. The woe is she's thinking, I can't believe what I'm hearing and feeling, meaning I'm not feeling alone right now. I've been feeling alone in this dark place. And when he said that, instead of telling me I shouldn't do it, he gets it. And he, and he says he'd still be, uh, 
uh, he, he, he'd still think well of me. Wow. So the whoa, wow for her is I'm not alone. And then the hmm is, I think what she was feeling is what I was feeling with uh, the dean of my medical school. I think she was starting to feel relief from feeling alone. I think she was starting to feel hope. Mm. So, uh, and so I think what happened is she went, hmm, I'm starting to feel connected to someone. I don't have to connect with death to get away. So that was the hmm. And the yes was her final statement. If you could understand why I might have to kill myself to get out of the pain, maybe I won't need to. So the whoa, wow, yes, is not just for entrepreneurs. You can use it to save lives too. Mm. And, and were you the one, sorry, if I got this wrong, were you the one that come up with those four words? Or Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. No, I came up with them. I came up with them. And, uh, uh, and it's interesting when I've shared them with people, 80% of the time, uh, people, as soon as I go, whoa, wow, yes, they write it down. Mm-hmm. The whoa, wow, yes, is a whoa, wow, yes. I, I met with the CEO of all of Harvard Business Publishing and his glo- and the head of glo- uh, the global uh, distribution of Harvard Business Review. And as soon as I said it to the two of them, they each took out a piece of paper and wrote down whoa, wow, yes. Mm. And then I met with the uh, editor-in-chief of strategy and business. That's a competitor, Art Kleiner. And he did the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, so I think that's some evidence that it has some grabby power. So if you're listening and you're an entrepreneur, go back to your company, go back to the marketing people and say, uh, when our customers or clients hear, see, or read something about us, do they go, whoa, wow, hmm, yes. If not, fix it. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh, um, not necessarily a segue, but a, a- prime um point that you bring up and i've now written that down as well because um my outside of doing this free platform my business is actually a digital marketing agency and uh, helping more client service businesses and um a lot of what i've learned over the years through effective storytelling and copywriting was born out of um donald miller's story brand and i don't know if you've heard Mm -hmm. of him that's that's one of the best books ever written yeah and um, I'm glad that you've that you know of it. So, um, and a lot of what I do is using his frameworks and giving him credit because it's just incredible taking you're taking someone from or story formulas because they're all formulaic, right? Um, and then understanding basically now movies are ruined for me as well because I can see now watching a movie, um, you know, the guide and and basically I know the ending before it even finishes. But so no, it's been been fantastic to use. Um, but I was going to say the the wow wow the wow wow hmm, yes is basically just the premise of your book. Just listen, it's the same. It's essentially it's the same thing, um, in the sense of well, when you related it to your past client and uh, and that's how she felt. Well, really, she was just feeling heard. Right, you managed to connect at that level of feeling hurt. So um, I know we haven't talked a huge amount about the book, but it is a fantastic book. I'm now listening to it my second time. I like to listen to more audio books than read um, and then go back and make highlighter notes in the, in the, in the, in the, um, in the book, in the hard copy. But as we kind of transitioning now, and I won't take up too, take up too much of your time. Um, 
so we've now given people they're probably watching this and they're thinking like how is this related to me and you're talking about entrepreneurship and even though i think a lot of it has it's we're doing a great foundation here if we can kind of transition into more people that are um say someone say in their they're starting up as a solopreneur so they're by themselves and whether it be like i'm a freelancer or whatever it happens to be right just talking about entrepreneurship when it comes up against i've done a little bit of research myself and something that comes up a lot um mark is procrastination and i have my own ideas through john demartini's where, where procrastination comes from but what's your take on when people are feeling like I finished my nine to five and I'm trying to transition into my business of entrepreneurship or they're, they're starting out as a solopreneur. How, what is procrastination in your eyes and how do you kind of overcome it? Well, um, my first book is called get out of your own way. And that seems to still be doing pretty well. And then there was a follow up book called get out of your own way at work. And in both the books, procrastination is one of the self defeating behaviors. And it's interesting, there's two takes I have on procrastination. In Get Out of Your Own Way, the first book, which was not a business book, it was a self-help book, uh, what I say at the end of the chapter is we procrastinate not because we're lazy, but because we're lonely. Right, it's interesting. We procrastinate not because we're lazy, but because we're lonely. And what that means is that often when we were children, there were things that we had to do that we didn't want to do, and it was painful. And, and we did it because we had to. Someone was on our back. Uh, you know, uh, we were going to fail if we didn't do it. But inside, it often creates in us, when I get older, uh, I'm not going to do something I don't want to do. You know, when I finish school, I'm just not going to do anything, something I don't want to do. Mm -hmm. But at those points, we also feel alone with not doing something we should do. And so when you do things with other people, you will often stop procrastinating. So for this, for, for Alcoholics Anonymous uh, is a community that basically doesn't procrastinate about giving up drinking because you have a community. It's easier to do something with other people mm -hmm. than do it on your own. People who don't like to exercise, they'll go and walk with someone else because they don't want to let the other person down. When you're going through college and your dormitory just looks like a pig pen, on a Saturday, you'll all clean it up together uh, mm. because you're doing it together, but you won't do it on your own. So one thing is if you can take the aloneness and loneliness out of it, in fact, if you can come up with a buddy system, if you can reach out to someone and say, you know, one of my, uh, one of my, biggest problems is I, I procrastinate doing things and I keep saying I'll do it, but I don't do it. Uh, I'd like you to hold me accountable and then they can come up with whatever they wanted to do. I remember I was a, uh, I remember, I don't know how, must've been maybe 10, 15 years ago, I was being interviewed by this morning uh, radio host and she was delightful. And she was saying she's been putting off writing a book. Everybody told her, uh, you should write a book. You know, you're so, you have such great stories and she'd been putting it off. So she was on the East Coast. I'm on the West Coast. And I said, well, when you try to write, when do you write? When would be the best time? And she said, well, the best time for me to write would be seven in the morning, mm. which is four in the morning, California time. So what I said to her and her listeners, 
I said, I'll make a deal with you. For the next month, I'm going to wake up at four in the morning every day and call you. And you're not going to make any excuses because it's four in the morning. And I'm going to say, okay, walk over to your computer, turn it on, no excuses. You know, I'm calling you. It's four in the morning, no excuses. Turn on your computer. And then uh, what's, uh, give me a question right now that you're going to answer to get yourself started. And so I did that for a month. Mm. And she kept telling her audience, remember that crazy psychiatrist? He's actually doing it. And so I did that for a month and then, then we stopped. And then six months later, she calls me and she says, what's your address? I want to send you my book. Wow. So can you see how that, so that can help when you do it with someone else. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Several years later, when I wrote get out of your own way at work, which is another 40 self-defeating behaviors, I added another uh, reason we procrastinate, which is we're overwhelmed. So we procrastinate because there's so many things that we have left over that we haven't done that it's, it, it, it's almost tough to start something new because we're nagged by all the things that we're behind on and we're just overwhelmed. Mm, mm. And so, so one of the best tips I, I, I've heard actually came from a, a person I knew who was the CEO of Mattel. And one of the tips he gave me is he said what he does is the night before, uh, uh, before he goes to sleep, what he says to, what he used to say to himself was, what can I get done tomorrow? Not what can I do, but what can I get done by the end of tomorrow that will help Mattel be a better company? And then he'd write it down. And then when he'd wake up in the morning, he might start with that, but he might not. But instead of racing ahead and worrying about things that might happen or don't happen, he said, I can make myself crazy. And I just write down before I go to sleep, uh, what can I get done tomorrow? Or what three things can I get done tomorrow to make Mattel a better company? So if you're an entrepreneur, before you go to bed, without editing it, you can say, what three things can I get done tomorrow that will further my uh, journey towards becoming a, an entrepreneur and getting out of this job that I hate? Mm, mm. And it's, uh, it brings up a, a great point when you're just talking about the three things. I remember um, Mary Kay for, you know, the cosmetics and she, I remember she, her sharing a story with uh, um, a friend or John Martini about, you know, what's the seven highest priority tasks that you can complete or need to be done every day that are almost essentially like evergreen in your business. Um, and that, that played a huge part in, in his business as well as I use that as well now. And that's when obviously the other book was written, The One Thing. Um, I can't quite remember who was the, the author of that book, but that was another fantastic, um, a great read as well, The One Thing. Mm -hmm. And um, another thing just to expand on that, which was interesting is my business partner, who's actually based in Bali, um, he'll be watching this, this will be good, good content, is uh, um, that I'm in New Zealand, he's in Bali, and a lot of the time, um, if I'm procrastinating, it's around perhaps limiting beliefs or things that I can't, I'm not aware of, or whatever, and often just having a conversation with him, almost a bit like my coach, because we're on a similar wavelength as far as our mindset development and awareness, 
is he'll just say like, hey, have you realized that you're doing this or you've been talking like this with this language for a while now, whatever it is. And just having that accountability, bit of coaching um, has helped me tremendously that if I was to do this by myself. So when you brought up the, what you said before, as far as the, the button, almost like needing a buddy system, well, that almost sparked another business idea and someone needs to create a, a separate, well, I don't know if it's a social network, but yeah, I, I called it the entrepreneur buddy system. Something to do that when people are heading out into the entrepreneurship world by themselves or as a solopreneur, I guess there are Facebook groups on Facebook that kind of help connect people, but something that was definitely just targeted towards having someone there as an accountability partner or a bit of a coach, obviously there's different ways and services, mentors that help, but um, having a buddy system or something like that is definitely a big, big piece of, of the puzzle for at least making, taking action and moving forward, as you said, with the, with the woman who uh, wrote, a, wrote a book within six months, which is pretty awesome. Well, you know, it's interesting. Something else that, that you can do, um, you know, that person who helped me in medical school, that was my first mentor. And the difference between a coach and a mentor, and they're both important, a coach helps you with regard to your performance and your results. And I think coaches are really important because if you're seen as someone who actually gets results that matter, you know, then you have credibility. In this day, in this world, Rightly or wrongly, we're measured by our results. It kind of goes back to my background when I was in med school. You know, you know, if I'm not getting results, I, you know, I don't deserve to be here. Mm. But, you know, the world really respects results. In America, people are saying, well, Trump may have problems, but the economy is better than it's ever been. And when it comes around to election time, even if you don't like his personality, if he's helped you get a job, it's going to be tough not to vote for him. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, uh, and, and it wears a, the difference between a coach and a mentor is a mentor helps you uh, come up with your future. So what's really calling to you? You know, you have various jobs, but whatever the jobs are, make sure whatever the job is, you're getting results because whoever you meet along the way, that's what they're going to main. That's what they're going to mainly care about is okay. Did your efforts actually turn into anything wherever you've been? So that builds credibility mm. and, uh, uh, and, you know, and I think that's a, a helpful thing to do. But one of the things that I've done with mentors, I would never want to disappoint a mentor. I would never yeah. want a, a mentor to look at me and be disappointed and think I was uh, flaky. So with all my mentors, I would never make a commitment to doing something unless I was 150% certain I was going to do it. And it's interesting, you know, my mentors, none of them would have been, they've all died. None of them would have been disappointed in me because, you know, they basically, they cut me slack. They say, Mark, you save lives. I don't care what else you do. You save lives. Don't worry about it. But in my mind, I didn't want to disappoint them. So something else you can do in addition to the buddy program is reach out to someone who has esteem for you, thinks well of you, and you wouldn't want to disappoint. Mm. Reach out to them and say, I have a favor to ask you. Um, and, and if this is someone maybe you're in contact with every month uh, or every couple months, uh, whenever we get together, I'd like you to ask me, how are you doing with those things you said you were going to do? You don't even make the mentor have to remember what you said, but just having that person that you don't want to disappoint because their belief in you matters so much, uh, I think that can help motivate you. And as I said, I wouldn't, 
ever say I was going to do anything to my mentors with my mentors unless I was 150% sure that I was going to do it because I didn't want them to look at me like I was flaky. Mm-hmm. And, and that, the important part as well of, of that you just mentioned there is someone that you respect, look up to, um, because it has to be done with someone of that in your Absolutely. mind, because otherwise you're just not going to give them enough weight in the mm-hmm. sense of like, you don't mind letting them down. Um, so that's a big part of it for the third of entrepreneurs still watching this, this interview. Um, now I was just, I was listening to your book again, um, yesterday, Mark, and there was a part in there that on audible, you can obviously pause and write a bit of a clip. And there was a part there that I was like, man, this is, this is some real gold. And if you can remember it, I, it's when you talked about in your book, just listen about the different phases that you take your mind through when you're experiencing like a, an event. So to give you an example, say I lost a client and you go, um, oh crap. You know, and then you go um, the next one down, which is like, oh, hold on, I'm, I'm getting this wrong, but hold on a minute. And then the next yeah, one. There, yeah, there was a chapter. It's interesting. Uh, in, in Just Listen, there are two chapters that people uh, interviewed me most about. One of them was Steer Clear of Toxic People. So there's a chapter about how do you deal with the people that are, you know, sort of the awful people in your life. And then the other chapter, which you're referring to, is how to go from uh, OF to OK. And it's a way to talk yourself down from being so agitated and upset that you don't, that, that you do something stupid. And it helps you actually walk yourself back to being calming down so you can listen. So I think the first one is, we'll call it oh fudge, but you can call it whatever you want. And then after then, I think it was, oh, geez, then it's, oh, shoot, and then it's, uh, oh, well, and then it's okay, and you breathe in between them, and really what you're doing is you're, you're walking yourself up from your reactive, primitive brain, you know, your fight-or-flight brain, up through your emotions, all the way up into your mind thinking, oh, well, okay, so what am I going to do? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, helps, and it helps calm you down. Yeah, and, and it's important to, I think, even verbally say it out loud, not just inside the head, but you talked about um, you talked about basically yeah, giving your thoughts or giving how you're feeling language, right? And this, in this talk, this goes on about some, some more deeper things around um, psychology, but that's why we can't cover everything in the book and the people just, my audience listening still hear the third, you know, get this book because um, Dr. Mark, Golson goes into deeper detail around how we've got three, you know, three different parts of the brain. Um, and basically we don't want to be, um, have our amygdala hijacked and I'll leave it there. So you can go read the book and see what that kind of means. But, um, there's some really powerful stuff to basically, if you are an entrepreneur or a solopreneur and you need to almost coach yourself through some things, um, I would definitely say if you had a choice of, of, of getting an audio book or buying the, the paperback, really try and get the paperback, if not both, because then you can, um, well, what I do when I listen to all my books, I get two versions, the audio, I'll usually listen to while I'm driving, I'll make notes, um, and then I'll get a highlighter and go back through and of the parts that I need to take note of and create action steps is how, what I do with my, a lot of my reading. So you guys need to go get that book. Um, the next one question I just wanted to ask, when people kind of go from, say they are transitioning from a job or they do want to move into entrepreneurship or they feel that's what they're, they're destined to do or whatever you want to frame it. When 
you're trying to get buy-in from your partner, your intimate partner, husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever that looks like. Um, how, how do you, I've written here, when it comes to uh, diving into entrepreneurship and being in an intimate relationship, what have you best found for communicating to your partner? So I've got here two different things. One is um, not necessarily related to entrepreneurship. So like the five love languages. And then you've also got around, so what my version of a lot of research I've done is around axiology, basically. How can I communicate me going to business to my partner's highest values, which might be, say, like family, uh, say, like family, shopping and something else. How can I say, look, me grow, doing this business is going to help the family with this. It's going to allow you to go more shopping, whatever that looks like. How would you best communicate it with all your years of um, research to... Um, have an empowering thriving relationship going forward rather than your partner being unsupportive because that's a big part in the community as well well something that entrepreneurs don't do but i would urge them to do it or just not get married or get married and then get divorced like a lot of entrepreneurs yeah is um, and this actually comes from my book get out of your own way uh, and one of the chapters in that book called trying to take care of everyone what I talk about is every everything in your life and every person in your life competes for time. They don't compete for importance. So the key is when you're with an intimate partner, you've got to develop the skill of being totally present with them. Because if you're distracted all the time, uh, if they're not particularly liking that you're an entrepreneur or they're worried about it, the fact that you're distracted all the time is going to make them get really angry with you. Mm -hmm. The more that you can really, uh, and it's interesting, a friend of mine, uh, I have a manager named Clark Valtier, and he's from New Zealand. And one of the things that he says is we always guard our calendars. You know, we calendar this time and we're having this interview right now. Yeah. And so what I would say to entrepreneurs, you know, unless you want to get divorced or you just want to stay single, uh, you have a calendar, you have meetings, but when you calendar time with your spouse or your kids, be completely there. Mm. Don't be distracted. Mm. Be curious about where they're coming from. There's an article I wrote, I think for Business Journal, it's called are you MIA, missing in action? And I, it's a 10-step algorithm for being present, which a lot of entrepreneurs aren't in relationships. Mm -hmm. Really what it comes down to is you have to intentionally say, when I'm with my spouse or my girlfriend or my kids, I'm going to be present. What present really comes down to is being a first-class noticer. Mm -hmm. So noticing is different than looking, watching, or seeing. When you look, watch, or see, you're passive. But when I'm noticing, like I'm noticing, because uh, we're on video, I'm noticing you're, you're uh, shifting pages around. I don't know if you're going to hit me with another question before we call it a night. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm noticing that. So I don't know if you're uh, trying to squeeze something in. I don't know. But I'm noticing it. And so when you notice something about the other person, the next step is be curious and then the next step is ask. So notice, be curious, ask. And, uh, and I could say, you know, uh, Ben, I couldn't help but notice you were just, you were just going through some, uh, some pages 
and I'm curious, did you forget to ask me something? Or was there something else? And so if you go through those steps, you have to say, when I'm with my spouse or my kids, I'm going to be present. They're not going to get a busy signal from me. I wouldn't give a busy signal to an investor or a customer. Mm. And, and the point is, when, you're, when your partner, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your spouse, when they see you can be totally focused on a customer, a client, or an investor, and you're always distracted with them, that's really going to tick them off. Mm, mm. So you want to practice being present. And when you calendar, you know, make sure that you calendar time to be with them uh, so that they can feel you've been with them. Here's a tip if you have kids. And if you're, if you're an entrepreneur and you're a little older uh, than Ben, maybe you have young kids. So here's a tip. Uh, when you're reading bedtime stories to your kids. Uh, and entrepreneurs are very often very busy, but entrepreneurs and their spouses often adore their kids. There's just something pure about a little child. And when you're reading a bedtime story, one of the things I suggest, and if your kid's about, uh, they probably won't get it until they're five or six, but what you say to them is, uh, what was the best thing that happened to you today and what was the worst thing? And you just let them talk. And when they tell you the best thing, you say, wow, that's amazing. You don't give them advice. What was the worst thing? Oh boy, that, God, that must, that must have been, you must have really been sad or frustrated. And then you say, what's the thing you're most excited about and most nervous about tomorrow? And again, you don't give them advice. But what happens is when you do that, you're teaching your kids perspective that good and bad things happen every day. Mm. And then, uh, and the point is when they give you an answer, just try and listen. And, and, and so there's all kinds of tips about how to be present like that. Uh, and then that person will feel like they've gotten quality time from you. Mm. Mm. So I don't know if that answers your question, but, uh, 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 also, I think if you discover that you're an entrepreneur and you can't work for a company, there's something that you might want to say to your partner and say, um, I need your help with something. I may have lied to you. I may have said, no, I'm going to be a regular working person working for a company. And what I'm discovering is I think I meant to create a business. And the more that I think I'm meant to create a business and I'm thinking about what the business would be, what's the problem I would solve and how to do it. I'm really having difficulty, you know, just being in a job that's just routine. And I'm sorry if I misrepresented myself that I was going to be this predictable, stable boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Hmm. And I need your help because I don't think I can, especially since I'm young, I don't think I can go down the path of just getting a regular job. And I need you to, uh, I need you to be okay with that. Mm. And that's a, that's a, such a powerful um, part that I think a lot of people miss that when you're going into entrepreneurship or having that conversation, it's not uh, having that conversation, not only um, basically sets up your journey, but it also creates buy-in because you don't necessarily know you're kind of testing the waters with your partner where they're at, whether they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. No, I'm really driven by stability. Or if they're like, 
no, let's do it. You know what I mean? So, and that can make the journey a whole lot more, we're just framed, framed correctly. Yeah, and, and, and there's something very powerful. Uh, I've even coached entrepreneurs and CEOs and companies to say, uh, you know, to say to their employees, I need your help. And you don't say it in a weak way, like, oh, I need your help. You know, the business is falling apart. You say, I need your help. Uh, and the three things that I need for our company to be successful, uh, we've got to make money. Because we, if you have any kind of investors, even if it's family and friends, they'll give us some time, but at some point they're going to want to get some money back. So uh, even though we love our company, what we're doing, it's got to make money. The second thing I need is that our products or services have to wow our customers. We have to consistently exceed whatever they're expecting from us because otherwise we're just a commodity. We're just like everyone else. You know, in this world, people don't remember that you're better than, they remember that you're different. And so you say to your people, uh, you know, I, I think why we're all here is we have some stuff that makes us kind of different. And so we have to be focused on always wow-wowing our customers and clients. And then the third thing you say to your people is, and I need you to fully want to be here on this journey. I need you to be fully engaged. Mm. And, uh, and we'll do everything we can to make it a psychologically safe and good environment. But I need you to want, uh, I need you to want to jump out of bed and come to work instead of jumping out, instead of dragging yourself out of bed and saying, oh, I got to go to work today. Mm. And I can't do it without you. Yeah. But if you share something like that in this day and age, that's going to work out much better than, oh, this is going to be great. And we're going to do such and such. And then your, and then your employees are saying, well, that's what you said last year before we had to, uh, before we had to let go of uh, 25% of our people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. I didn't quite realize there was that many people that feel unsafe in a big company with big layoffs oh. or the economy changing. Cause I haven't been in that, in that position in a big company. Of two hundred, three, four, five hundred people plus. Um, so that's a great point that that you definitely bring up. Um, and now, because you brought up a great point with the metaphor before me putting my papers around, we will call it quits there. But I could talk to you for hours. Um, I'm just going to give you five rapid fire questions, um, and then we'll and then we'll wrap it up. So, um, what do you, if you have one, what's your favourite quote? Um. My favorite quote comes from my last mentor, a guy named Warren Bennis. You've never heard of him, but he's one of the big leadership people. He's, you know, he's one of the top five leadership people in the world. He died a few years ago. He's on your website, I think. Yeah, and one of his quotes is, be more interested than interesting when you're with people. Be more fascinated than fascinating. Um, and you know, make it about them. Make them feel special and do it genuinely because a lot of people don't feel special. A lot of people feel invisible. So that's, that's probably one of my uh, favorite quotes. Um, uh, here's a different quote, and this is the shrink side of me, the psychiatrist side of me. And this comes from a friend of mine, Dr. Shawnee Duperon, and she has something called, I think, uh, the uh, Project Forgive. It was nominated for a Nobel Prize. 
And this one is just, a, I think it's an amazing one. You might be too young to grasp it. But she says, forgiveness is accepting the apology you will never receive. Mm-hmm. So think of people, you know, that you're holding a grudge against. And forgiveness is thinking of the apology that you'd like them to give you that you'll never receive and imagine them giving it to you and let go of your anger. Mm, I like that one. Mm-hmm. I've written that one down. That, that's, a, that's a keeper. By Shani Duperon. S H A W N E Duperon. And it's either, I think it's Project Forgive. Um, here's another, I'll give you one other one from a friend of mine, Tim Galway. Tim Galway was the first sports psychologist. Mm-hmm. He wrote a whole series of books called The Inner Game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they're wonderful books. And uh, he's the guru for a number of uh, professional. Uh, sports coaches like the coach of the Golden State Warriors, the coach of the Seattle Seahawks, they, they swear by inner game and Tim Gower. And, I, and, and here's a great quote when you're trying to make a point that people don't listen. And his quote is, and I, I've often lead, talked with this, I say, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a quote with you that you've never heard before. And so people are you know nervous. And I said, uh, and you've never heard it before. Mm. And here's the quote. If you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Mm. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. So everyone say, I know that one. I say, no, 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 no. You don't know, you don't know the whole quote. Yeah. If you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you give a man a, if you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. But if you teach a man to learn, you feed him for a lifetime and he doesn't have to just eat fish. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good one. I haven't heard that one before. I was, I was about to say, I've heard this one, but. Yeah. And so, so I usually use that as a gotcha to my audiences because they're all smiling. Like this guy's an idiot. I've heard of that. And then when you hit them with the third one, they, they, they do exactly what I just noticed you do. It's like, Oh, I haven't heard that. Mm. Very good. And, and, the le- and the lesson there is we probably all jump to conclusions quickly because we're so wound up. Mm. I like it. That's fantastic. What are your, I won't, it doesn't have to be top five, but what are your, I'll put here, what are your top five must read books? I know that yours are great. <laughs> Say outside of yourself, even top one, two, three. Yeah. The one that you mentioned about storyboarding. A story brand. Yep. Donald Miller. Story branding. Um, Jeez, you, I, you may have sent me the questions. Um, oh, there's one about uh, about selling, I think by Mike Feinberg. I, I can't remember it, but it's it's one of the the best sales uh, approach books that I've ever read. When you read it, you just say he really knows it i mean I, I could take a minute and go look on amazon and see if i could find it but uh well uh, if it doesn't have to be necessarily relevant to entrepreneurship just say your top top four or five or even if it's in, to do with psychiatry or psychology or or you don't have anything else that you can comes to mind so it's, it's that um i think uh Well, you know, my mentor, um, Warren Bennis, he wrote a book called On Becoming a Leader. And he wrote it 
I don't know, it's a, it's a classic. It's one of the top books on leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think it's wonderful because it, uh, because we have lousy leaders in the world now. We can't believe in them. Uh, there's another uh, book that he wrote, Warren Bennis, with a fellow named Noel Tishy, T-I-C-H-Y. And, he, and it's called Judgment, How Great Leaders Make Great Judgment Calls. And, and what he talks about is that, uh, you know, how effective you are as a leader is how good are your decisions? And they identified three areas where you need to make good decisions. One is strategy, the other one is people, and the third thing is crises. Mm. So, uh, and it's a great book, uh, and it's filled with all kinds of research, uh, but I I would suggest that uh, uh, people check it out. Okay, I've written that and I'll put that in the show notes. and I won't be naive here thinking that you don't use any kind of apps or online tools. So what are your favorite apps or online tools that you kind of currently use, whether it be personally or professionally? <laughs> Zoom, <laughs> WhatsApp, I don't know. Um, I'm going to take a pass on that. I, that's above my pay grade. I mean, okay. I, uh... that's fine. If there's nothing that you are, uh, nothing comes to mind. And uh, we kind of touched on this before, but last question to finish with is what you look for in a mentor. I've got Cynthia. Cynthia's got a fantastic um, answer for this. Anything that you or did specifically look for in a mentor? Um, I, I look for a, in a mentor, I guess someone who believes in me more than I believe in myself. Mm-hmm. Someone uh, who can hit me between the eyes and say something critical and specific, but it's filled with love. So you can accept it. Mm. So someone who could say, you know, this thing that you do, I'd stop doing it because it's never going to work. And it's interesting when I ask the women that I've coached and mentored, I said, why do you, why do you use me? Why don't you get a woman coach? And what a number of them say is you're like the big brother I always wanted. And I said, what does that mean? And they say, well, you're not like a a father that I have all kinds of baggage with. You're not like a, uh, you know, an ex-husband or ex-boyfriend. You know, you're not like my, you know, my, my kid who's doing too many drugs. You're like a big brother. And what that means is you're kind of funny. You're, um, uh, you're smart but you'll hit me between the eyes with what I need to hear. And, and it's very specific, meaning it, it, it's, it's, it's not a general thing. This is what you need to do. So, so here's something that I often tell women, but it applies to men. When you want to be seen as being centered and present and powerful, when you make a point have the pitch of your voice go down a third of an octave because it's, it's like downshifting in a car or a motorcycle to get traction. Mm-hmm. Whereas if your voice goes up like this, it, it can, it, you think it's, it's communicating excitement. What it's really communicating is anxiety. So mm-hmm. it's the difference between saying, we, we really need to do this versus we really need to do this. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference. And especially, especially when it comes to 
anything in communication, especially sales. And we'll finish on that note. And this is another reason why people need to go get Just Listen because you finished on obviously tonation there, tonality, that uh, in the book, Mark's book talks more around um, how you're perceived people. And this is a huge one. Um, but you kind of opened my mind up to it more. Basically, if I feel that I'm confident, I might get perceived as arrogant. I might perceive myself as wise, but I'm, I'm sorry, I think I'm wise, but I get perceived as timid, for example. So that's a huge um, uh, a part of the puzzle, to, I guess you could say, whether it would be with clients um, and sales or even just the friends and family, how people actually perceive you. And you kind of need to take your, your ego off a pedestal a little bit to kind of hear it. Um, but Mark talks about how, the, how to actually go and ask people and how to kind of set it up properly because a lot of people won't want to tell you. So uh, to summarize uh, everything that we've kind of said, um, not that I can summarize all of it, a lot of what we've talked about is, is in Mark's book, Just Listen, and I'm definitely going to go get his other books. Um, there's about four or five other books that you've written. I have a feeling that the next book that might come could be Wow, Whoa, Wow. Whoa, Wow, yes. Yes, uh, so we'll soon see. But um, no, thank you so much for your, for your time. You've been very generous. I've kind of stolen a little bit more than, than I should have, but I really appreciate it. I look forward to any kind of possible things we might do in the future or if, uh, if you write another book to have you on the show again. But thank you for giving so much, for attributing or contributing so much to society with all the work that you've done over the years. Um, and I'm sure you've still got a lot to give. So thank you for your time. Well, you're welcome. And if, look, if, uh, and people... Um... People can find me at, uh, I, have, I have a website called markgulston.com. And if you look at me on LinkedIn, I might change this, but my profile says elephant hunter. Yeah, I see that. LinkedIn. And the reason I say that is if you go to markgulston.com, what my mentor Warren Bennis said, they said, Mark can identify the elephant in the room and bring it out safely where it can be dealt with. And there's always an elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is... It's that thing that everybody knows is there, but nobody will deal with. And when leadership avoids the things that it has to deal with, it really, it really, uh, it really hurts the morale of the company. And so uh, you want to be able to sort of identify that. And, and look, you know, if you get comments on this and they want to have uh, me back, you can collect them and say, hey, uh, if you liked what... Uh, for, for those who made it to the end of this long uh, interview, you know what? You know, I, I, you don't know it, but I fell asleep myself ten minutes ago. Uh, but for for people, you know, who uh, you know want to follow up and they have a bunch of questions, you know, we could do that. We could you, you could even say office hours with Dr. Mark. Yeah. If you have some questions, I'd be happy to help you help them if anyone's interested. Yeah, that's fantastic. I really appreciate uh, everything that you give and um, definitely reach out. I'll put all the, in the show notes as well, basically where you can get um, Dr. Mark Gorson's books, where you can find them. I'll put all, everything that there as well, the podcast that you have. Um, very impressive. So again, thank you for your time and I'll, um, I'll definitely keep in touch and, and, reach, and reach out to you. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And if you get to the States, we'll meet. And if I get to New Zealand, we'll meet. So uh, we'll, we'll make that happen sometime. Indeed. Yep, I agree. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, good night. Take care. Thank you, Mark. Cheers. Bye.